0: There are reports that there is no evidence of a direct link between Baghdad and some of these terrorist organizations.
1: There are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns.
0: The ones we don't know we don't know.
2: (laughs) Excuse me, but is this an unknown unknown?
0: Uh, I'm not several unknowns, and I'm, I'm just want not say I'm not going to say
2: which it is. Mister okay. Secretary, <clears> you know believe, I'm right here. I'm right
0: something. here. Doc, I have to tell you about the future. Doc, I'm from the future. I came here in a time machine that you built. Now, I need you to help me get back to the year 2001.
3: I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Good evening. Will Morgan here, and you are
0: listening to 42 Minutes, the production of ThinkBook Radio and TheThinkBook.com, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. It's 9 11 So we're going back to the future with a good friend for a special bonus episode to talk about the past and all that it may mean.
3: And I'm pretty sure that it means a lot of Huey Lewis. (laughs) I love Huey Lewis. Hi friends, Doug here, and tonight we are speaking with Joe Alexander, the barely human media mogul behind Apophenia Productions. He penned a chapter for Sync Book 2 back in 2012, and he has been a guest on 42 Minutes more times than anyone else. We have spoken with him on episodes 15, 48, 50, 82, and 109. This past summer, he gave a video presentation at the 2014 Oli Sync Summit, and we're eager to hear all about his impressions. Hey Joe, how are you doing tonight?
1: Hey guys, I'm great. Great. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Yes, sir.
3: So, uh, how many days were you in Olympia?
0: Uh,
1: was it two days, I think, or maybe three? I'm not were, quite did, sure exactly.
3: I mean, so the way <laughs> in the in me processing it from the outside, you know, I've, I was trying to figure out when people were showing up. Did you did you make it to the book signing on Friday afternoon?
1: No, so I missed the book signing. I got there like an hour deep into the Radio 8 Ball show, so I caught the tail end of that, and then I stayed basically until almost the end when everyone left, which was, I think, Sunday morning. So yeah, I was there 48 hours, but it spanned about three days.
3: Yeah, okay. And so an hour into the program, you walked into the theater and caught the tail end of Radio 8 Ball.
1: Yeah, which was cool to walk in in the middle because the whole bar was full and I wasn't sure who were sync people and who weren't. And uh, it turned out at the end that there was a nice healthy mix of the two, but it was fun to like try to distinguish between them. So, And actually when I walked in, I saw a few people I didn't know, but I only knew them through Facebook, which was kind of cool to not like introduce myself, but just to kind of watch them and, uh, and see that they were there. So cool.
3: cool. And, and this is your second Radio 8 ball.
1: Uh, this is my second one that I saw saw, although the first one was like more informal. This was the first one where Andy did the whole production with video cameras and it was definitely a bigger uh, production this time around.
3: Interesting. I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I, I'm under the impression I don't, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: don't you don't know Andy? Is that what you're getting at?
3: No, we interviewed Andy. We, we had him on oh, the show. I- <laughs> yeah. A different kid. Yeah. 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 All right. So. It was a good it's
0: a good it's a good production move if you think about it because somehow Andy takes like the pressure off of it having to sink. And of course everything that I heard about the Radio 8 ball was that it was a little bit outrageous how like accurate it was this time or something. But I've also heard it was rather strange. I missed out on that.
1: Yeah, it was too. Was both strange and accurate,
0: I thought. Interesting. And that is the first person I saw when I got to Olympia was Joe.
1: Well, yeah, although, uh, Will, I don't think I was actually dressed like Marty. I don't know if he thought I was trying to do that, but I wasn't. I mean, just to clarify for anyone who heard that before, I don't actually walk around dressed like Marty McFly. In fact, I've never dressed
2: like that before. I was just
1: wearing a red flannel shirt and some blue jeans, which I think he thought looked like his red flannel-like life preserver vest thing, but that's actually not what I was going for. But it was interesting
0: that you saw that. <laughs> it was a relationship. Well, so it,
3: it, totally, totally is it it's like a month past the sync summit right and it feels like ancient history now kind of because it seems like Uh, just because so much has happened so much has happened and the the new year basically the kids have all gone back to school and it feels like the new year has started and so like we've kind of just moving moving away from this but what what do you take with you from the sync summit what's what's the lasting stuff that sticks with you
1: I think the intimate times when you could sit down with people and have uh, fluid conversations uh, where you get to hear the stuff that comes off the top of people's heads and, and look into their eyes when they're talking, it's a different experience from, like, reading their blogs and watching videos, and, and that was nice. Uh, also, like, the immediate feedback that comes from having conversations and, like, the energy that's created in those atmospheres, especially when you get three or four, you know, see people together, like, Uh, Well, um, the last day was actually my favorite where we were all sitting under the pagoda outside, uh, the tent thing, um, and people were like kind of leaving every 30 minutes or so because they were catching their planes or whatever, but everyone was just kind of gelling and totally relaxed. It was nice weather, and it was basically like a social hour, like the kind of thing that I would want to do even if I wasn't at a sync summit. So I was approaching it that way in the sense that like I woke up, I thought, what would I want to do with my day? Oh, I'll go hang out with some friends down by this garden and we'll just chat. So that's kind of what it was. It was like an informal, just like chat, a way that we would all want to spend our time. And it was really good.
0: Cool. Yeah. Yeah, because well, by that time, all the pressure had been, you know, like everything, all the surprises had been sprung. <laughs> If you get what right. I'm saying. Well, so like
3: everyone had done – Quality time. Right. Like they were – they presented their things, and they weren't on the spot anymore, and they could just relax.
0: Right. And yeah, everyone right, was it just kind of be very
3: grimy cells. Right. <laughs> we
0: were great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I missed it. I went through a short depression, Joe. What about you? I don't know. You have David around. But that's also um, struck me. How many similarities? Just in posture, you—it's weird. You and David are related somehow, and the fact yeah, that you guys, leave, so. yeah, in some weird way, some weird way, totally. Gets, let me just say, you guys see eye to eye. <laughs> I see.
1: Yes, we literally do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, it's a nice. It's a
1: nice down the road from David. Even if we're not talking all the time. At least I don't feel alone in the sink universe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think that's where my depression came from. It was like all of a sudden you're dropped off the corner. I, I,
3: I know what you're talking about, Will. So after you have such intense connection, like at a sink cabin or anything, where you end up with a handful of these people that speak the same language, it's its hard to not – to be in that space I imagine it would be like Harry Potter's summers, right? <laughs> Hogwarts is so awesome, and then you got to go to the Dursleys' house again. And
1: yeah, totally. Yeah, going home to hang out with the Muggles is just not fun after you've had like the weekend <laughs> magic and, and owls and all that crazy stuff.
0: Right.
3: Well, yeah. I I mean you you were on the other end of those emails when when I was talking about moving to Winnipeg remember will we should all move to Winnipeg <laughs> well it, was, it' just cuts down on the,
0: it cuts down on the stress I mean like normally something you're so excited about most of us are really excited about sync we see the potential of what it means and think of it more along the lines of you know the, the big picture instead of just like the little payoff there's there's like a constant Mystery—you can't tell people, oh, it's the Illuminati, or, or, oh, oh, oh it's the newest version of the Illuminati, Rockefellers, Jews, or whatever. It's just like the, the the Nazis. It's whoever's in charge now, right? And think points to something bigger than that. There's like, and so to try to explain that to people, their eyes just glaze over. But to be amongst a group of individuals who automatically think that way, then it just cuts down on all the very good role. You could just get out the brass tacks.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to me that, like, in many ways, the way you form relationships in normal life with people is that you have to meet at some objective um, common ground. So generally what we're all trying to do in the world is reach uh, an objective viewpoint where we can all relate to what each other are saying. But in the sync world, like we don't accept anything objectively and everything's gray and mushy. And it's weird that when we get together, we still aren't trying to pursue anything objective. It's like a bunch of subjectivists and relativists coming together, yet somehow we're able to like ride on each other's wavelength for a couple of minutes at a time, and then we just jump to the next person's wavelength. And it's almost like none of it makes any sense, but because we're all in the nonsense together, we're having a good time. And uh, it, just the journey of moving through nonsense uh, makes sense to us. So it's nice, um, especially since that's such a stark contrast from you know, at least my typical like intellectual uh, conversations with most people I know, which is that we're trying to reach some conclusion or we're trying to figure something out or or they're trying to nitpick at, um, you know, fallacies and whatever it is that I'm talking about. So it's nice to be around sync people who aren't doing that. And in fact, I can't remember like any situations the whole weekend where people were putting forth uh, ideas and where someone else was, you know, interjecting in the way like, oh, actually that's not true or, you know, that's not factual or let's Google that. And that's such a routine part of my daily life that I hate. You know, I hate being immersed in that sort of like high-pressure, objectivist environment. So even though I know it has its place, but it was nice to be outside of that for a little while.
0: Well said. I got a question. There was a couple of things that I never expressed to you while we were like face-to-face that I wanted to talk to you, especially after seeing the screening of your newest video. I mean, my main question about that was how long you were sitting on it, because while, as I was watching it, I got the impression that this was a conclusion that you had come to for quite a while.
3: Actually, I would be – in terms of that question, just I would like to know the genesis of this video project. Mm. What is this video called, and, and how did it come to be? Yeah. Tell, tell its story. Because this is about as fun a sync video as I've ever seen.
1: Wow, I'm glad to hear that. Thanks. I don't have any feedback, really, because I haven't shown it to a lot of people. I showed an earlier version to the Sync Summit guys, but the the newer one has some more information that I think really ties things together. So uh, thanks for that, Doug. But this is my favorite video because, obviously, uh, we all wrestle with this question every now and then, which is, is is Sync science or is it art? And to me, it's obviously both. Uh, You can argue either way. Um, But to me, this video and the process in which it came about was very scientific. Uh, which was that I had been studying back to the future for a number of years for reasons other than relating it to 9-11, yet I had gotten into synchromysticism because of this unavoidable black hole uh, vortex of 9-11, which just sucks all the sync uh, members consciousness into. And that's kind of what for the most part has drawn us to synchromysticism. So it's like, that wasn't the reason I was studying back to the future, but that was the reason that I was studying it from a synchromistic perspective. And so Based on that line of thinking, there should naturally be 9-11 threads in Back to the Future. You know, I was drawn to it so strongly because of synchromysticism. And it wasn't until I studied it for probably three and a half years and made other videos about, like, the mythology of of Zeus and Cronus, about Christopher Lloyd being a Christ resonator, about this tunnel and reaching the light – that I started to find 9-11 sinks in Back to the Future that eventually materialized so strongly that I am 100% convinced that this movie, maybe more than any other movie that I've ever seen or that I've ever heard of, absolutely predicts Back to the Future, either consciously or subconsciously, in a way that I think when people watch this and when they watch Part 2 after I make it, they're just going to think this is undeniable, this absolutely happened. But it's the scientific way in which this came about in that the hypothesis was that 9-11 has this strong attractor, and that's why we study it from a synchromistic standpoint. And I wasn't in Back to the Future to find these things, but I was drawn to it because it resonated with 9-11. So that's why I enjoyed this video.
3: Oh, I'll tell you why I enjoy this video. is because there's a a real playfulness to it. Yeah. (laughs) It makes you giggle. Oh, my gosh, the tone is so great because on the one hand... You're finding such interesting things in the film, but then on the other hand, the way you present it is kind of it's, – it's definitely in your style, but at the same time, it, it seems like it's, it's Joe Plus. Totally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll
1: tell you what that is. So it's meant to be – it's purposely supposed to be Joe Plus, insane, paranoid, objectivist weirdo.
3: right. Right, And
1: the reason is because I'm trying to appeal to a different audience, right? So you can tell just like when you listen to someone's but n- newest rap album. From a sync
3: standpoint, it ah. almost feels like, like you're making satire, and it's so good.
1: Ah. That's awesome, dude. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, that's kind of what David has told me, basically, is that he just has to laugh when he watches it. Because it is satirical from a sync standpoint.
3: It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous, but at the same time, it's like it's undeniable.
1: Yes, totally. Yeah, it's satire for people who have already accepted this this line of thinking or this kind of thread. But for people who are still immersed in like loose change and zeitgeist and are just breaking through, you know, they'll look at this and it'll make their blood boil in the way that mainstream conspiracies do. So that's what I was trying to do. <laughs>
3: you do it well, friend. (laughs) Thanks.
0: But that still doesn't answer the question. How long were you holding on to this?
1: A lot of the info on it developed over the last couple of years. Uh, It really came to fruition when I was on Always Record and David and Alan kind of helped me. Uh, put together some of the more powerful sinks in this, where Alan pointed out that the towers are actually in the movie. And at that point, I was basically finished with this video, but it was totally centered around the more uh, uh, sinky, heavy, esoteric, um, more abstract uh, and loose connections that I typically do with my videos. But then when Alan introduced that, I was like, oh, I can make this... Uh, I can make this a conspiracy video. I can take out all the, the fluffy sync stuff and make it for people who don't know what the heck synchronicism is. So I, I had actually made this video about a year ago, uh, but it was a sync film. And so then when Alan introduced me to, to those other, uh, to the towers in the film, then I just remade it in the last six months or so.
0: Did you script it or was it from the hip?
1: No, no, I definitely scripted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all contrived. <laughs> no,
3: you do such a nice job of reiterating the argument, and I wonder if you've if you've studied if that comes naturally the the, the storytelling techniques, and that you've just this is you something you've did learned. Did that
0: really well in another one of your videos. I, I think it was the Batman video. I'm not sure the,
3: well, that's I want to talk about the Batman video because if as I'm looking at your videos, I realize the Batman video has almost twenty thousand views, whereas the rest of them are somewhere between you know one and three thousand.
1: Totally, totally. So how
3: do you explain that?
1: Well, the timing of the Batman one was perfect because I put 2012 in the title and it came out just before the solstice of 2012. Right. So people were really jumping into it. And that was also when The Dark Knight came out. So it was really right. like a meshing of those two interests. And also, I mean, I think it was a, a good film. Um, it wasn't too sinky. It was uh, really based on astrology. And I think that uh, anyone who's in any way involved in the New Age movement could appreciate it. So I think that's why it was popular. But these uh, Back to the Future ones, I would argue, are evolving to be much more popular than the Dark Knight one. Um, other people who are reposting them are really getting a lot of interest. And um, I think I saw one that had uh, almost – it has right now 200,000 views, which I think is, is incredible. So
3: You're saying repost.
1: Yeah, so people who have large audiences already and have big subscription bases have been uh, basically just re-uploading the video and, you know, naming it whatever they want. But uh, as I've tracked them down – uh, I've started to realize that you know people are being exposed to it beyond the, like one or two thousand views that are just on my channel.
3: And are they just? I'm just wondering if they're if they're adding anything to it or doing anything. They're just re-uploading your video on their – channel
1: yeah some are doing different stuff like uh, one guy added a a couple clips to it that actually you know enhanced it and made it made it better uh especially for his particular viewing audience because they're like a more religious audience but then another guy compiled them all together and one of the advantages of them doing this that i really enjoy is i get to scroll through the comments that everyone makes which is one of the ways that i look for syncs for my next videos is a lot of times people will write stuff in those comments that I never could have picked out if I would have, you know, been making the video for another five years or so and they just lay it out for me. So, um, it's been really nice to, to, you know, comb through that.
0: Okay. See, the thing is it's funny because it's just like Kubrick; It can be seen from so many different points of view, but the fact of the, that, you know, Joe can come at back to the future with so many different points of view and then it can be assimilated into the different groups who have those viewpoints. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, it, it's not like there's a central sink country that or a point of view that he's like coming from. It's like he's done three or four different points of view, and then they've gone out and found their homes. Do you get? It might be yeah, a total totally. Metaphoric or? <laughs> no,
1: I don't think so at all. I think. Uh, it speaks to the depth of the film Back to the Future. Uh, whether it was intentionally put in or not, there's a lot of really hard uh, archetypal storylines that are embedded in there that become the they become the substance of each different video that I make. Like the Greek one, the 9/11 one, um, the Lloyd as Christ, the tunnel. Uh, you know, all these different archetypes that are in this film um, become different things that people with different interests can then go and latch onto like this one, for example, the conspiratorial community can latch onto. But I think that I got lucky in the sense that I just picked this franchise of Back to the Future because it turned out to have all this depth to it. You know, I had no idea that some of this stuff existed when I first embarked on this. I just knew that I loved the movie and that a lot of other people did. And I think that that's what we're going to start finding in the same community more and more, which we you know, to a large degree, already understand which is that the more popular a movie is, generally, the more people are being interested in it because it's speaking to some subconscious urge that they have to indulge in that storyline. And uh, I think that's the power of Back to the Future that allows it to have this mass appeal uh, when we break it down synchronistically.
0: What has Sync done for you on a spiritual, like, level? I think it's
1: integrated the spiritual realm into uh whatever non-spiritual realm i don't know the name for the non-spiritual realm but whoever i was when i was a muggle you know it's helped integrate it and i don't know if i would assume that most spiritual practices if you indulge in them long enough will do that they'll bridge that gap between like i'm here in this uh meaningless life and uh now i'm astral traveling right you want some middle ground where you can exist and Um, you know, I would assume fundamental religions do that if you go about them the right way, but sync has done that for me and specifically the way it's done it is I'm sure you guys went through this too, seeing all the symbols just throughout my daily life, you know, looking at a symbol in a sync video that like Jake puts up or you will put up or someone else puts in their blog and then I go see it in my daily life and suddenly becomes real to me and integrated in my daily practices. And, uh, it's helped bridge, bridge that gap my spiritual life and and my physical terrestrial life.
3: Did you ever go through the kind of oh my god I'm losing my shit phase? Of course. Of
1: course. I think of that as like adolescence. Like you know when you're a young adolescent and parents kind of look down and you're like oh he's just hormonal. You know he'll grow out of it. He's just losing his shit right now. Like that's you go through that as a sink human being. Like you know you're like a sink (laughs) baby. You learn to crawl. Yeah, you go through sync puberty where you, you get hormonal, but instead of being hormonal, you're just paranoid and crazy. Like You can't talk to anybody. You can't identify with anybody. You don't know yourself. It's it's weird. And yeah, I to, I think I think we all do.
3: <laughs> well, it's just so – I mean it's funny because it seems like 9-11 really, really brings out like the best and the worst in that. It was just such a big thing that resonated so widely and loudly that well like back to the future you can look at it in different ways that's what's so
0: cool to me about 9 eleven is I've on like I've believed in so many different points of view of what happened at 9 eleven and that to me is the most interesting thing is like I always had this theory that you know like there's as many different ways there's, as many different I saw 9-11, there's that many different interpretations of what happened. And I don't understand, like, maybe that's just too much of an idea. But the same thing is true with, you know, like, JFK and so forth and so on. And then, like, the fact that you found JFK, I mean, there's an obvious JFK theme in Back to the Future. And then the fact that that has to do with 9-11, too, but the, those two don't have the same characteristics like to t- their threads so right. I th- I th- you know what I mean because like in the nine eleven thread there's always this upside down thing, and it's got a different feel and a different texture to it than the JFK thing or the gray alien thing or the Greek
1: thing yeah, totally. I mean it just speaks to the. You know, like the story of, you know, the f- different people, touched, blind men touching the elephant. One of them grabs the trunk and then describes it, you know, as a snake. One grabs the foot and says they're holding a tree, you know. One grabs the tail and says they're holding, I don't know, whatever a tail feels like. It's, you know, it's a million different things to a million different people. But,
3: um. <laughs> hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if we should... I'm thinking about the tower archetype. That's one of the things your, your video prompted me to think about. Yeah. But, I mean, it's been so long. I'm like going back to my, my first blog. Because that's when I was really consumed with this stuff. Consumed with. Maybe I got really morbid all of a sudden, homie. No, no, easy? I'm not morbid. I'm just. You get all dark and
0: you're. Hey, slow down.
3: Well, I can only do one thing at a time.
0: Ah, I see, I see. Well, i got to tell you, Doug, one thing that I noticed when I met Joe is that he's got a great sense of humor. A great sense of humor. He's almost That's like... True. Well, I'm just being true. He made me laugh quite a few times, man. Is this Hi, offbeat? <laughs> Somebody would say something, and Joe would be like, oh, my God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's how I just ad-lib the silence when I have nothing productive to offer. (laughs) Huh. Oh, shit. You
3: you, you know what's hilarious? I I don't know if you remember this, Will, but episode number 16, so the 16th card in the tarot is – is the tower our ep- our 16th episode was Will uh, uh, you were the one you were the host Will and, and me Halcott and Alan were the guests and we were at Ground Zero
0: oh you guys were at 9-11 it was like a 23 minute long episode instead of a 42 no I to start. yeah you blew the clock <laughs> You guys were, like, on ground zero, like, literally, because you were on all your cell phones, like, walking around the city. You could hear buses and shit passing by. It was utter madness.
3: But then the thing that I thought about today that was interesting to me on 9-11 is... So we say ground zero, and then the fool, we think of the fool card as the zero card, or sometimes, you know, the 22 Depending, yeah. But where are you getting at? I don't know. I mean, it was just the thought that, like, that was kind of an entryway. I mean, so all the stuff that Jake said back in the day, that the Stargate opened, like, this was. It's just so peculiar, though, because at the same time, it seems like we've gone through another Stargate since then, too.
0: Well, I mean, if you go back and you look at the old Jake stuff, I think he was. Referencing Jose Arguelles, where he was basically saying that it doesn't really end until 2016. Like, there's a period that started, and it lined up with what movies were coming out, if you remember. And there is, there's like a progression. I mean, we've had these little breaks off, like, whoa, huh, we got there. That was crazy. Oh, man, that Aurora shooting. That shit was nuts. You know what I mean? Fukushima, oh my God, what just happened there? And there's like all these little sinks. But I know that things are different for us now. Like, since 2012, everybody has these super phones and shit, and it's just like, you remember information differently. Like, I, I hear everybody saying that they don't even know their phone number anymore. Like, phone numbers are becoming obsolete. Do you get what I mean? And it's like, things are different now. We're like on another side of the Stargate. Like, we can go and download whatever movie we want to anytime. That shit was not ever available in history. I just got Netflix, and I'm like, how does anything ever get done now? Like, why aren't people just, like, cruising through Netflix, watching TV, what they want to see constantly? And the fact that... Well, they are. Well, they are. That's what's fucking happening. I mean, it's different. Everything's changed. And it's weird that you mentioned this tower card and everything, because I've all of a sudden started to realize that the airplanes are go- Okay, so Joe, you remember Pegasus, right? In one of your videos, you had Pegasus, and you said, well, actually, the old name for Pegasus is Lightning. Right. Right? It yeah, took I mean. me a while to find that, but you're absolutely right. And have you ever heard about the Barak? The Barack is this uh-huh. creature that... The Barack, it's, Bar- it's just like Barack Obama, but it's called the Barack, and it okay. has it has the face of a woman, the body of a horse, and the tail of a peacock. And basically, okay. in Arabic, that name means lightning. But it's a flying horse that takes Muhammad through the seven heavens or whatever. But it's okay. the fucking it's the lightning. And I've mixed these. Okay, so there's this whole airplane seven 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 thing. And somehow the the airplane and the horse are related, and it's the flying horse or the pegasus is the lightning strike that is the airplane. And that's why that relates to the tower card, because it's the airplane or the lightning or the barack or the flying horse or the pegasus that strikes the twin towers. But somehow it's the airplane. Like, the lightning bolt is the airplane.
1: Totally, totally. Yeah, it's the, you know, onslaught from the sky... I view it as the same thing, um, which is why in Back to the Future it's so cool that lightning strikes the tower. Same archetype, airplane striking the tower. But Barack, I, I mean, that's heavy. What did you? Uh, how did you spell
0: that? I'm just curious. Yeah, you can Google it. I think it's. Uh, let me see. B A R A Q is what I mm-hmm. would say. You. might you might. Yeah, that's just B A R A Q. Uh, cool.
1: Well
0: hold on. Maybe that's not correct. Mythical creature list. Yeah, this is it. D A R
1: you know, I particularly like the association of the airplane striking the tower as being synonymous with lightning striking the tower because when you hear about biblical accounts of um, the prophecies that they were putting into Genesis about end times, uh, we all, at least in modern times, understand that when they encountered visions of technologies that they couldn't understand. They, um, you put them into, into context that they could understand where they talked about UFOs as flying chariots of fire. Right. So it's like, from that standpoint, you could think of the people who were describing the archetype, archetype of lightning hitting towers. If, if in any instance they were seeing these visions, I mean, they literally could have been seeing airplanes hitting towers and interpreting it as lightning, you know? So I think that's, uh, uh, you know, interesting side note of this is that wow. when all these archetypes were being developed, if, you know, shaman were taking these in theogen and in theogens and gaining insight about the archetypes through visions um, and they were seeing the future, just as an example, they could have very well literally been seeing airplanes hitting, hitting buildings and then been like, Oh, lightning striking mountains. Um,
2: so,
3: hmm. so we got to see this video, but it's not released to the public. Right. What what are you, what are your your intentions on? Uh,
1: so right now, my plan is to release it within the next three hours because I want it to go out on 9/11. Uh-huh. Um, but it's always tricky when you know you put out a video. It's like you can never really be finished it. You know, I'm sure you've experienced this. Well, like I'm
0: just, yeah, you know, as with anything that you
1: work on, obviously, like it's it's never done. You can always put more work into it, and certainly, I'd like to have another like six months with it, but. Um, I really want it to go. The 9-11, that's a good excuse to just kind of cut it off where
0: it is. (laughs) I think we should redo something with uh, the Olympia, like when we start doing all – of. have you guys seen the Marty Leeds thing yet? Have you guys seen the Marty Leeds presentation? I I know what you're talking
3: about. I have not. I'm I'm very interested in looking at it, Yes.
0: Just just wait until you see the production of how they did the ending and stuff. It's so sweet. I mean, it will bring you to tears. <laughs> the Marty Lee thing alone is very like his presentation was very heartfelt and inspiring. So like that gets you emotional. But then like the way that they so I I kind of have this imagination of like doing what David did and doing Joe's and putting like the little talks and the question and the Q and A that we had for them and stuff like that and then mixing that into you know actually the video that joe did too like so 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 it captures how it was shown at the event
3: so for our audience members who they don't have a clue what will's talking about (laughs) (laughs) there was a film crew at the olympia sync summit this past summer and right now it sounds like Alan and Will and maybe other people are beginning to compile and edit and create uh, segments of the various presentations that were given at the Sync Summit, and right now, as far as I know, um, Alan's putting together stuff at the slash Oli 2014, I think is the URL, and you can watch the Marty Leeds video there and then read the various blog posts and stuff. Um, and more videos as they become finished they'll end up there too I'm sure but there's just a lot of footage
0: there's hours,
3: hours. <laughs> there's just a lot of footage <laughs>
0: and it's great
1: yeah they film right. the whole
0: time start to finish so right and there's so many like little treasures like oh I didn't know this got filmed <laughs> Good. <laughs>
3: yeah. in a the intro that Alan made David played like zipping up his his fly. Did you guys <laughs> see that? <laughs> like the cameraman says, hey, your, your zipper's down. And he looks down, and he's still talking, and then he zips up his fly. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm what motivated. kind of response did you get at the summit showing this, or an earlier version of this video that we watched tonight? Um,
1: I think the Vigil Q gave me the most emotional response. Like he really connected with it in a way that he felt it was undeniable that this was a conscious effort by these people to put these 9-11 clues in the movie. So uh, that definitely provided me a lot of motivation to go out and and really um, manicure all the details in the film so that it would be presentable to people. Um, But I mean, everyone else liked it. I mean, I thought, um, you know, it it was just another, another sync film and, just a bunch of people watching it, they all said they enjoyed it, and uh, that was
3: that. And what about you, Will, when you watched it, was (laughs) were you smiling, laughing, cheering? It
0: was was giggles. I mean, the thing is, is everybody's like (laughs) (laughs) No, man, it was cool, man. It was cool, because, like, well, there were certain things, I don't want to give the video away, but there were certain things that happened, where like, I had seen 9-11 9-11 in the video, I don't think I remember the Always Record where a- Alan had seen it. I was just watching Back to the Future 2 and I saw 9-11 and immediately I got on Facebook and I was like, Joe! Joe! <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of broke it down a little bit how much was there. But this was like when he would I'd seen the scene, I knew the scene was important, but then he would start mentioning things that are in the scene that I didn't notice, and he said them, and right when he said them, I would notice that they were there. That's the sync videos that are, like, great to me. It's where, like, the narration goes, yes, we're all watching this, but did you notice this? And then you all of a sudden notice that, and you're like, oh, fuck, like, that was staring me in the face the whole time, and I didn't see it. That's the cool parts. And there was quite a few of those. Joe's little viewing. Um, I like that. I like that. I like that feel. That's why I like sync. That high.
1: Yeah, I like I like cracking people's head with that. I, I like showing them the scenes that they're really familiar with over and over, even in the sync film itself. And then after a few times of doing that, then revealing those little details. So I think because that's like the nature of sync. really, is looking at stuff that we've looked at for a long time and... and Having omitted uh, things that we could have noticed.
3: Well, right, recontextualizing the world so that we can we can again have wonder. I Beautiful. watched this video today on on YouTube. Somebody posted it. It was a Vsauce video. Maybe that's the show. And it was really well made. But the guy was kind of trying to demystify the mystery a little bit, saying you know, with the right mathematics and uh, it, you know, the wonder. It's not really that interesting that these things happen that seem you know like it was really doing its best to scientifically explain all the wonder out of and this is the thing that I like is that we we look at the same stupid things over again and then find a new way to see it and make the world magic again
1: (laughs) yeah like we don't look at, at these things that are mysterious and try to Make them scientific, and then say it's like an open and shut, a shut, open and shut case. I mean, I hate when people do that kind of stuff, uh, as if there's nothing left to be seen here. You know, like, like Doctor is a good example. Like, if I would have done that a long time ago, then like, I never would have, you know, or if Alan would have done that a long time ago, he might have never seen that the freaking Twin Towers are in there. So,
3: but that's the other thing is there's some of these fictions that we're continually drawn to. They continually give us something that we need like there's meaning right. or there's something
0: well see this is i keep dealing with this over and over with because everybody was like you know some people see it and say well obviously it was a conspiracy i like i remember seeing i wrote this post about the labyrinth and i saw another person did a very similar post but their post that i saw the same things they were all like yeah the mk ultra did this you know what i mean and the, the comments below it were like, I'm never watching the Labyrinth again, I'm burning my VHS, <laughs> yeah. I hate it, they're evil. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, totally. wait a minute. I mean, you get stuck in this, this paradox where it's like, because it has stuff hidden in it, does that mean, like, if it had some other intention than what I originally thought, does that make it a bad thing?
3: Right. Do you have any closing thoughts, Joe? Yeah,
1: that if you if you do talk about it in a definitive way, as everything being a product of however you view it, then then everything will become a product of how you view it because of the basic principle that you're that you're talking about. You throw it ahead, and then
3: uh, you go chase it. The universe makes it happen. Well, we'll call that 42 Minutes. Thanks.
0: <laughs> You've been listening to Joe Alexander on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and TheSyncBook.com. Joe's work can be found at YouTube.com user BarelyHuman11. For more information about The SyncBook or guests, check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Please be sure and visit our website at TheSyncBook.com 42Minutes. If you like what you hear and would like to support the show, by all means, follow the link on the website to the donation page. Thank you, and
3: run for it, Marty! No, oh, how about, I'm sending you back! <laughs> they found me! I don't know how they found me, but they found
0: me! Run <laughs> for it, Marty!
1: You guys are savages.
3: <laughs> I like it.
1: All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate
3: yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, and like I, I said, this was one of the funnest ones I've ever Just because yeah. it's, it's, it's so over the top, but I can see how it could really... Someone on the level of the just... Because...
2: It's great. one of the most dramatic events in New York City in the 1960s, was the construction of the World Trade Center. Design and construction would take years and efforts of thousands of people. A project of this size created enormous challenges challenges that demanded the use of dramatic new engineering concepts. was considered. Final plans called for a complex of low-level buildings surrounding two 1,350-foot towers, the tallest ever built. Their great height was made possible by the use of load-bearing walls. Extremely tall buildings were traditionally inefficient since huge amounts of interior space were taken up by structural supports and elevators. The Trade Center towers would overcome this problem. The exterior walls were designed to bear much of the weight of the towers, as well as all of the wind loads. The only internal supports would be in a central core of columns. Elevators would be placed in the shafts formed by the core columns. To further conserve space, the towers would be organized into three zones served by express elevators. Local elevators would run within each zone. These engineering considerations determine the tower's basic design. Sheer, symmetrical walls rising without setbacks. The site selected for the Trade Center was an old section of Manhattan's lower west side. The area housed a great number of small businesses, but the predominance of electronic stores caused it to be known as Radio Row. In 1966, demolition began. In all, 164 buildings had to be torn down, and generations of power, telephone, gas, steam, and water lines had to be rerouted. The site actually consisted of waterlogged landfill, which had accumulated over two centuries out of old wharves and debris. To support the great weight of the towers, foundations would have to be dug down 70 feet to bedrock. But the removal of water from this huge area would have caused a dangerous lowering of the surrounding water level, undermining nearby buildings. The solution was to construct an underground concrete retaining wall to surround the site. This was built with a slurry trench method, used for the first time in this country. A trench was dug down to bedrock, and a thick bentonite slurry was pumped in. The slurry was denser than the surrounding mud and dirt, and thus kept the trench walls from collapsing. As each section was completed, 25-ton cages of metal reinforcement rods were lowered into the slurry-filled trench. cage in place concrete was poured in since the concrete had a greater density than the slurry the slurry was forced up out of the trench and could be used for the next section in this way an underground wall was built completely sealing the site excavation began as each section of the slurry wall was revealed Workers drill holes through the wall, and casings were pushed through down the bedrock on the far side. Steel tendons were then inserted through these holes and socketed into bedrock, bracing the wall against external pressure. More than a million cubic yards of dirt had to be removed to make way for the trade center's foundations. The excavated earth was placed on the Hudson River adjacent to the site to create more than 23 acres of new land, land which was donated to the city of New York. The site presented another major challenge. The tubes containing the path commuter rail lines lay underground within the excavation area. The fragile tubes had to be supported in protective cradles while excavation continued around them. Throughout construction, the PATH trains carried 130,000 commuters daily. At no point was service interrupted. Seven stories down, bedrock was finally reached. Foundations for the towers could now be prepared. Concrete footings were formed and poured into bedrock. Massive assemblies of steel beams, called grillages, were laid on these footings. Each grillage would anchor one of the load-bearing tower columns. orders were placed for the 200,000 tons of steel which would be needed for construction. Individual pieces were prefabricated and rarely interchangeable. Moreover, there would be no room to stockpile materials at the construction site. This created a tremendous logistical problem. Steel sections would have to arrive at the site in the exact order and at the exact time needed. To meet this challenge, Port Authority engineers used a computerized system known as Critical Path Method, or CPM. CPM would coordinate every aspect of construction, track the flow of materials, and minimize any delays. In August 1968, actual steel construction began. Kangaroo cranes, imported from Australia, were used for the first time in the United States. The cranes were assembled on top of the core columns. Each could lift 60 tons at a time. They would be the driving force behind the tower's construction. The cranes have the ability to jack themselves up 36 feet at a jump. As the walls grew to the height of a crane, the crane would hoist itself up, a neighboring crane would swing core columns into place beneath it, and construction would continue. Seventy feet up at street level, steel trees were put into place around the perimeter of the towers. These trees would transfer the load of the exterior wall to the more widely spaced columns now anchored to bedrock. Construction of the towers could now proceed with great speed. Three basic elements were used. Two or three-story high sections for the load-bearing wall, massive steel beams for the core columns, and floor sections to span the 60 feet between core and wall. Through the complex orchestration of these structural elements, three floors could be constructed in 10 days. many engineering innovations, the Trade Center was cited as the outstanding engineering achievement of 1971. Shortly after the structural completion of the towers, the surrounding low-level buildings were finished. A final addition to the North Tower was a 360-foot television antenna, erected in 1978.